episode number 42 of The Actors Room, and today we are going to highlight the documentary titled Paradise Lost, and I'm going to be completely honest with you, I'm very nervous about doing this, and um, I'm going to do it, do it. I'm not sure if I'm going to send it out. We're going to find out. If there is a gap between Sylvester Stallone of episode number 41 and my next episode number 42, and it's not Paradise Lost... There you go. Uh, and no one's going to hear this except me if I decide not to do it. But if I decide to send this out, um, this is episode number 42 of The Actor's Room, highlighting the documentary Paradise Lost. Here we go. Here we go. I gotta, I gotta shake this off. All right, I have been putting this off. I was gonna do this yesterday. I swear to God, but I found everything else to do. I spent about five hours in the yard. Uh, needed to do those things, but I took my time. Just going over in my head how I was gonna about to to do this, uh, what I was gonna say, how I was gonna present it, if I was gonna do it at all. Because I got to tell you, this is a very sensitive subject. And I want to say, I just want to let you know, right off the bat, these are my opinions, people. My opinions. And my opinion doesn't mean shit. But this show is going to be scary in a way, interesting, uh, thought-provoking, And if you don't know about this case or this documentary that I'm going to talk about, it's called Paradise Lost. It uh, is about the case of the West Memphis Three. And if you're aware of this, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to go through just a brief summary just to let the people out there who don't know about this what's going on. May 5th, 1993. Three little boys, eight-year-old boys, went out and played after school, you know, got on their bikes and skateboards, took off like any normal eight-year-old would do. This took place in a place called West Memphis, Arkansas. It's not in, it's West Memphis. This is not in Tennessee. This is in Arkansas, very close to Memphis. But like I said, West Memphis, Arkansas, three boys, eight years old bike ride they don't come back home of course parents concerned 
so on and so forth. They go looking for the kids that night. The whole city got together looking for these three boys. They couldn't find them. Can you imagine? I see, I got two kids. And if one of them went missing, by God, I am sure those parents didn't sleep that night. And if they did, there's something wrong with them. But anyways, they couldn't find them that night. And it got to the point where it was dark. And they decided to go ahead and uh, do the search bright and early the next morning. So that's exactly what they did. And uh, lo and behold, they found the three boys. And I got to tell you, folks, when I saw this documentary, I saw this documentary about, I want to say about five years ago. Never even heard of it. And I'm a big true crime guy. I know about all these cases. And I was reading something about a case, some other case. And it was brought up about the West Memphis Three. If you've never heard of it, you go check it out. It is the most bizarre, fascinating case you will ever read up on or watch. There are documentaries done about it. And I'm like, this is for me. I got to check this out. HBO did it. Paradise Lost, right? It's on YouTube. Great. I and I put this on. And in within the very first five minutes, I don't know how the hell they got this footage. And I have no idea why they would show this HBO. I mean, they must have been there right when it happened. I mean, I don't even know. I don't know if this footage was from HBO or just maybe it was crime scene footage. Maybe it was crime scene footage. But HBO got their hands on this footage. And they show these three boys as they took them out. I mean, they don't show them taking them out, but they show these kids. They were bound, tied up. Their hands were tied together and their feet were tied together. Okay? They were thrown into a creek. So they found them in a creek and they fished their bodies out and they're laying on the side of this creek. All three boys. And they showed this. So right away, you are immediately, like, you are in. Whether it disgusted you or you're interested, whatever the case is. It's astonishing. It's, if you've never seen it and you do see it, I warn you. It's very disturbing. And you go, oh my God. What the fuck? Who would do this to these three kids? Why? Who? Never, I've never uh, read up or heard about anything like this before. And I've done lots of reading up on this stuff. I find it just interesting, uh, like anybody would find interesting, uh, because it's really not part of our everyday lives. So we go out and we all love a good mystery, a good horror story. And oh boy, Paradise Lost. Wow. Like I said, HBO production. And, uh, sorry folks, man. This is, this material is quite, uh, and that's why I found it hard to uh, come on here today and talk about this documentary because it's something that I have been researching for five years. I have done my research. Not only did I watch the documentaries, which are biased, Okay. First one, not so much. But there are two other documentaries about this. There are two more Paradise Lost put out by HBO later on. We're not going to talk about those. We're going to talk about the first one. I don't think I want to talk about any more. Uh, because I hear like if you take a side on this, especially if you're not um, 
And the West Memphis Three, and I forgot to mention this, this is important. The West Memphis Three are Damian Eccles, and this, these are the suspects in the case, and will eventually be prosecuted and found guilty by two separate juries, okay, in 1994. They were sent away for the murders, and I forgot to mention the three young boys. Their names are, and uh, I probably should have wrote this down. I'm so nervous. I know their names. Christopher Byers, that's one of them, Michael Moore, and Steve Branch. Those are the three little boys that died. Now, they, the police, the West Memphis police, after about a month of uh, doing their uh, due diligence in the process of finding out who the hell did this, uh, they finally brought in, uh, I believe he was 17 at the time, Damien Eccles. No, he was 18. Damien Eccles is one hell of a figure. And we will get into him soon enough. Uh, Jesse Miss Kelly and Jason Baldwin. Jesse Miss Kelly was brought in, questioned. I think uh, he had some information. Well, he was a friend of uh, Damien Eccles. And they were doing a lot of... Uh, uh, due diligence the cops were on Damien because, you know, he'd been in trouble. Uh, a lot of uh, psychological history with this guy. He's been in and out of hospitals throughout his entire childhood. He had a rough childhood. Um, so a very sad tale of Damien Eccles. So he was a prime suspect. So Jesse, Miss Kelly, was brought in and they questioned him about a few things. And they found that we should probably do a little more questioning of this kid, Jesse. So uh, they got him uh, to take a polygraph exam. Now, bear in mind, I think Jesse was 17, so they had to have the father's uh, okay to go ahead and do these things. And they did. Uh, Jesse's father, and his name is Jesse as well, said, fine, uh, you can go ahead and do this, you know, the test and whatever. So they did. He failed the test. They questioned him more. And he will end up admitting what happened he confessed, and he said that him, Damon Eccles, and Jason Baldwin murdered these three kids. Um, his uh, Now, mind you, Jesse, Miss Kelly, it's a misconception about him, about how long the police questioned him or berated him and really put it to him to confess. There are people out there that say it was like a 10 to 12-hour interrogation, wrong, it was about, I think, three, four hours. So that's a big difference. Why embellish that? I don't know. But people like to do this sort of thing without doing their own research. Because I'll tell you something. You can go online and find out every case document about the trial. Every little thing. And if you haven't done that yet, you have no business. No business at all. Giving your opinion about this case. None. Just because you watch Paradise Lost does not mean you know the case. Does not mean you know what the fuck you're talking about. You got to go out there. This case is fucked up to the highest degree. You got to go on and do your homework about this case. But anyways, I'm talking about Jesse Miss Kelly. And uh, he confessed the first time his facts were way off. I think that he went ahead and tried to distance himself as much as possible and what really went on. So he would drop things here and there, tell lies. But for the most part, he was seeping in a little truth from time to time. And the cops knew it. They knew it. Jesse would go on to confess. And I'm not kidding. 
I think, six to seven more times. Now, there are people out there that say he was coerced and, you know, he, he gave this confession, didn't mean it. People give false confessions all the time. Plus, they say Jesse, he's not the smartest kid. He's not retarded, okay? He's just, he's kind of slow. He's no scholar. But the guy knows right from wrong. And that's the only thing that matters. That's the only thing that matters. And when this kid does not give not only one confession, but several others, makes you scratch your head. And I'm going to tell you this right now. Might as well do it right now. I believe he had a confession where he put his hand on a Bible. Uh, There was a confession that he gave where he was told by his attorneys not to do it. And this is recorded, people. You could go find these. You could go online. They're on YouTube. And you can hear this. And I also want to point out, there's a great investigator, former attorney. His name is William Ramsey. And I respect him so much. He goes out there. He gives interviews. He writes books. He does every. He finally has got into the podcast world. All the things that he's done in the past. He has stepped up to the plate and done some great research. And not only uh, this West Memphis 3 thing, but of other subjects as well. And it's, it's scary stuff. I give him props. I couldn't do it. I'm, I'm scared to do this. Because I don't want people calling me up or like threatening me because that's what they do. Uh, There are such big supporters of Damian Eccles, uh, Jason Baldwin and Jesse because they're just are. They're really hardcore into it. And a lot of celebrities back these guys after seeing Paradise Lost. And because the directors and the the makers of these documentaries uh, first blamed one of the stepfathers. His name is John Mark Byers. HBO had a field day with that guy. I mean... (laughs) The community that this took place in, West Memphis, was like lower middle class, I want to say, with a lot of poor people. A lot of people living in trailers. That's where Damien lived. That's where Jason lived. And that's where Jesse lived. The three kids that were uh, found guilty of this, that's where they lived. They lived in the trailer park. Now, the kids that were killed lived in like the suburb part of town. They had little ranches. You know, I would say like maybe two, three bedroom ranches. Uh, they were, you know, maybe $140,000, $130,000 houses, um, decent area, but lower middle class. Uh, the, the area itself is not, you know, I don't know. I, I went on Google maps and you can go and look at neighborhoods if you want. You put in an address and I pretty much scoured that whole neighborhood. It's lower middle class. Okay. And a lot of pedophiles or from that area because when three kids are killed, okay, they're going to go and they're going to investigate everybody in the area. And there are lists of pedophiles just scattered all throughout that city. Kind of scary. A lot of drugs going through there, a lot of meth. Uh, so this is kind of a seedy area, I think. That's just my opinion. A lot of domestic abuse, I found. Uh, not a pretty picture. So these kids grew up not in the best neighborhood. And it's just a very sad tale. What happened to these three little boys? Okay, let's go ahead and dive into the filmmakers that made this movie. Their names are Bellinger and Sanofsky. And I want to go ahead and give you some of the other things that they've done in their careers. Here are the names of some of their other projects. The Virtual Corpse. Gray Matter. Addiction. 
Killing Richard Glassip. Intent to destroy. Cold-blooded. Raising hell. Lovely. That's my lovely. That's not the the, the last one was called Raising Hell. Um, and Bruce Sanofsky actually passed in 2015. So just a little background on them. And I would also like to say that I watched this documentary for the first time five years ago, like I stated before, and it affected me deeply. I couldn't get it out of my head. And I would go on to watch the other two sequels with big interest. After my first viewing, I was convinced that the three boys accused were innocent. I really did. After the first documentary, my heart went out to Damien, to Jason, and Jesse. You know, they were brought in because, I guess, you know, Damien wore like Metallica. And so did Jason. I think Jesse too. But they wore like, you know, Metallica shirts, ACDC. We called them stoners when I was a kid. Now, mind you, Damien and the other two were the same age. I grew up in that time. And where I was, that's what we called them, stoners. And there were a lot of them, actually. And I had a picture in my mind when I first watched Paradise Lost that, uh, you know, these poor kids, right? Small community. You know, they were probably one of like five kids dressed like that. You know, they probably stuck out like a sore thumb. Bullshit. I guarantee you. There were lots of kids that dressed like that in the area. Damien wasn't the only one, but he was brought in because of his history. He was in and out of psychiatric hospitals because his parents were afraid of him. Uh, and it's believed that he was involved in a cult. Uh, William Ramsey did a lot of research on that. And um, I read his book. And in the book, he states that uh, there was a cult in the area and Damien was a part of it. And so was Jesse And so is Jason. And uh, I want to bring up Jason real quick. He kind of slips through. Because you look at this kid. And mind you, for the trial, they had to, you know, cut their hair. Jason's hair was pretty long before he was brought in on charges. They made him look all spiffy. Cute little haircut. Uh, He looked like the boy next door. And man, he pulled it off. I believe this kid. I still believe him. If you were to tell me, wow, which one... uh, do you think really didn't do it? I'd say, God, Jason, look at him. I mean, he looked like he wouldn't hurt a fly. Nay, nay, nay. I have stories about this guy. I hear when he went to prison for this, he made it known he wasn't going to be fucked with. And he is a tough guy. Don't be fooled by Jason Baldwin. Don't be fooled. Uh, and Damien pretty much is uh, what you see is what you get. Uh, and he's a terrible, uh, he's a terrible, terrible liar. Terrible. I'm an actor. Believe me. I know. This kid, this guy is so full of shit. But I'm gonna, I'm sure I'm gonna hear about that. Yeah, I guess come at me if you're listening to this show and you're you're a big defender of Damien and and Jason. I get it. I mean, who wants to believe that three three seventeen year olds would do something like that? Nobody does. It's disgusting. But when you do your research and stuff, that's what I'm telling you. It's like if you haven't gone and done your research and I know you're going to throw this at me Terry Hobbs you know, I'm, I know it, I'm going to hear it Terry Hobbs did it stupid I'm, Terry Hobbs is a very shady character but you know what he is not the only shady character in that city, there are many many shady characters in that city, Terry was just one of them and it's going to be a little bit more than uh, 
his hair found, okay. Uh, yeah, the kids were around his house all the time. Well, that does not prove a fucking thing. If you found his hair on the, at the scene, that does nothing for me at all. Zero. And you say, well, throw this other thing at me, okay. People will say that there were two witnesses that saw Terry yelling at the kids before uh, they went missing. And they finally came out, these two witnesses, after Years and years and years afterwards said, oh, by the way, yeah, we saw Terry. He was yelling at the two kids right before they disappeared. Really? You're coming out like 25 years later and I can't trust hardly anybody in that city. I think they're all just, their facts are all messed up. They don't know what the hell's going on. Like they say that uh, this happened, but it was like two weeks before that. I mean, it's a mess. All right. Okay, I have to sort of regroup here. I'm going on tangents, and I knew this would happen. I knew this would happen with this thing. I gotta take a moment, because... I don't even think I'm gonna send this out. This is fucking crazy. Okay. Metallica allowed the filmmakers to use their music in the film, which is rare. I guess Metallica doesn't usually allow this to happen, but they were supportive of the West Memphis 3 case. And of Damien, Jason, and Jesse. So I guess the accused killers loved Metallica. And they did, I guess. They've professed that. And, uh, of course, right after the murders, the police went to work right away. Time passed with no arrests. Then, a 17-year-old named Jesse Miss Kelly confessed to police that he witnessed and participated in the murders. He would state that he and two others were involved. The other two were Damien Eccles and Jason Baldwin. Misconception on the confessions. I have my note here, and I already stated that about the fact that some believe it went on for a long time. Did not. It was only about four hours that they questioned him, and then confession as well. Jesse claims it was cult-based, and all hell broke loose after that. Residents have said there was a strong following of Satan worship in the area before the murders. Background on Eccles. Tough childhood. I feel sorry for this kid. Doing research on him. He had it pretty tough. His real dad was out of the picture for a while. When Eccles was small. And his dad's name is uh, Hutchinson. Uh, And Damien's real name, actually, is Michael Hutchinson. When he was legally adopted... By his stepfather, because the mom married again, uh, got divorced from Damien's real father, and then married a, name, a man named Jack Eccles. And uh, he was a real dickhead. Damien is, uh, is also another name for the devil, okay? And uh, he changed his name, and I think it was because it was... Uh, Damien is, is known as a devil. He says differently. He says that while he was practicing Catholicism when he was a child... There was a, a guy, uh, a saint or somebody that helped lepers or something like that. And his name was Father Damien. And that's why he chose Damien. I don't buy it. Could be true. But I don't believe it. Damien suffered from horrible headaches as a child. And he grew up in, in extremely poor conditions. Uh, they live in a shack. And it had no water or plumbing. Let's just say there was a rough start for this kid. He was in and out of psychiatric hospitals, like I said earlier, as a teenager. He read up on Aleister Crowley. He practiced black magic. He claimed to be a Wiccan. 
the documentary will go to interview the victim's parents. And now I'm sliding into the documentary now. I went on my little rant, which I might erase. Who knows? And I always say that and I usually keep it in because I just do. But now the part of the show. We're going to dive into the documentary itself. This is going to be put into parts. There's no way I'm going to be able to get the whole documentary into one hour or an hour and a half. It's just not going to happen. A lot going on. And sometimes, like I do, I go into tangents. And that might happen a lot in this episode. So here we go, talking about the documentary done by HBO called Paradise Lost. The documentary will go on to interview the victim's parents. A curious one is the mother of Steve Branch. Now she's interviewed and obviously on some sort of drug. My guess is some primo painkillers mixed with some sort of moderate upper. She's out of it. Now they're talking to her about her dead son and she's smiling um, and laughing. Just not appropriate at all. It's like a what the fuck moment. But you know what? She just lost her son and she's on some pretty good drugs. Ah, So you got to cut her some slack. Then we see the parents of the accused. Jesse's dad is sitting in his dirty trailer explaining how he believes his son is innocent. And to be quite honest, he looks like a nice guy, actually. Jesse's father, Jesse's senior, he does. Like, he just looks like a nice guy. He just doesn't want to believe his son would do something like this. Um, Jason's mom looks like a dead skeleton to me. and She looks like a, a skeleton talking. I mean, this poor lady... She looks obviously poor, hungry. It it looks like she just needs a meal. I mean, it's really sad. And she's like all bone. Uh, I'd have to say her main diet really did consist of meth. I mean, she just looked it. I hate to say it, but it it just, it looked that way to me. And you could tell she's just going through the ringer. Her son being accused of something like this. I mean, she's, she's a mess. Um... I mean, her eyes are bugging out. It's, okay, we're going to move on. Damien's dad is interviewed next, and his name is Joe Hutchinson. This is a dad that was in and out of his son's life, and it is reported that Damien does not speak highly of his natural father. He was pretty much raised by his real mom and his stepdad, Jack. Jack was molesting Damien's sister, and probably Damien himself. I don't know for sure, but definitely the sister. So I'm sure Damien holds a lot of animosity towards his real dad for putting them in that situation. But Joe was off his nut in his own right. He would go off on violent rages against his family, which included Damien, his mom, and his sister. Just a mess, people. A fucking mess. And then we are introduced to the most entertaining character in this whole saga. His name is John Mark Byers. He was the stepfather of Christopher Byers. Holy fuck me. This guy is incredible. What a guy. He is very animated and super emotional about what happened. And he has no problem at all expressing what he feels in this documentary. I mean, his passion shines through and it makes for great entertainment. And HBO ate it up from what I gather All of them got paid for doing this, Doc. I'm sure they love that. 
So they were all about that. I guess the producers or the people that worked on the project would give <laughs> would give some of the castmates, you know, drinks and get them all revved up to do stuff. Because at one point in the documentary, John Mark Byers and Michael Moore, who was one of the kids that was killed, and his dad, they were shooting at stuff like pumpkins and shit. That looked like they were drinking and like they're shooting the guns. I might get into that later. But anyways, I found John Mark Byers to actually be very intelligent and well-spoken. I mean, he does not seem like a moron to me. Seems very intelligent. And I mean, just one hell of a character. Give a listen to this. Scared of the devil. I know who my comforter is. Thy rod and thy staff comfort me. And I thank you, Lord, for letting me be able to believe in that with all my heart. I hope y'all really believe in your master, the Satan, the sleuth foot, devil himself, because he's not going to help you. He's going to laugh at you, mock at you, and torture you. He didn't need your help. The devil's got all the devils he needs. The good Lord said Lucifer and a third of the angels were cast from heaven. He didn't need them, but he took their mind and he manipulated them. And they prayed to Satan and they prayed to the devil. And they had their satanic worship services out here. And they had all types of wild homosexual orgies, I've been told. Crazy things. To me, this place as I stand is like hell on earth because I know that three babies were killed right out here where I stand. I know my son was castrated and possibly laid there on that bank and bled to death. I know he was choked. I know one boy's head was beat in beyond recognition. I know one little boy was skinned almost like an animal, cut, had to shave his head, had all types of injuries to the head where they just kept beating and pounding on them and killing them and killing them. It's like they enjoyed it. They killed them two or three times. Jesse Miskelly Jr., Jason Baldwin, Damian Eccles. I hope your master the devil does take you soon. I want you to meet him real soon. And the day you die, I'm gonna praise God. And I make you a promise. The day you die, every year on May 5th, I'm gonna come to your graveside. I'm gonna spit on you. I'm gonna curse the day you were born. And I'm sure while I'm standing there, I'm gonna have to have other bodily functions let go upon your grave. I promise you as God is my witness, I'll visit all three of you. I mean, come on. This guy was definitely uh, drunk a little on a rampage, and you got HBO just eating this up, like, this guy is fucking amazing, this is great, look at him go, oh my god, man, hey, these H the HBO uh, filmmakers, you know, they're not morons either, I mean, they're trying to sell a product here, and doing one hell of a job, I mean, this documentary is fucking amazing, and this just goes to show, also, how crazy this whole situation was getting, I mean, and also why you can see how people can get behind the three accused when you got stepdads acting like this. The first accused teenager we see is Jason Baldwin, and they make him look like a Boy Scout. They really did a nice job. They cut his hair short, like I said, and he looks like the t tamest little kid in the world. 
don't be fooled. I believe Jason to be the biggest bullshitter of them all. It is reported how he took to prison like a fish to water, more so than Damien himself. Next up is Damien Eccles. This is a smooth talker. He looks too calm to me, I put. He is on trial for killing three boys. Damien claims the teenagers were arrested because him and the other two stood out like sore thumbs because of the way they dressed. I say that's a really bad excuse. And uh, I mentioned earlier that I grew up in that era, same era, we're about the same age, and how I would see kids like that dressed all the time. Uh, I was a little intimidated by those kids. I didn't dress up like that. Uh, um, I didn't listen to heavy metal music when I was a kid. I still don't. It's not my bag, man. I just don't listen to it. I'll get as far as Ozzy Osbourne. I really like Ozzy Osbourne. Black Sabbath was pretty good. But that's about it. Metallica, yeah, they're good. But that's about it, man. I don't really listen to anything else heavy. I think when I was uh, 16, 17, I did buy a Guns N' Roses tape. And I really liked that. Guns N' Roses, they were good. So I just wanted to point out that them dressing up like that, that was nothing new. Uh, Damien and his friends weren't making any fashion statements at this time. They weren't. Uh, Damien shows me his demeanor and reactions that he's putting out there. Okay? I feel him to be an act from the very beginning. I just don't buy it or him. Then, last and certainly not least, is Jesse Miss Kelly is presented to us. This may be the only realistic character in the whole bunch. He is a simple kid. He's slow, but definitely not handicapped in any way. He was the one that confessed. He has his lawyer explaining things to him as he sits in his cell. And Jesse nods accordingly and wants to be out of this situation. Jesse, like I said, is limited intellectually. But he knows what the fuck is going on. And he has a history of violence. He was a bruiser, getting into fights on a regular basis. But he may very well be the only accused teenager with a conscience. And I'll get to that later. Now Jesse received a separate trial because of the confessions he made. Jesse's dad was living with his girlfriend at this time. And her name is Lee Rush. She looks concerned to me. When she talks about Jesse, it is clear that she thinks he did it. His dad stands by his son, of course, but she remembers the way Jesse was acting before he was brought up for questioning. She claims that Jesse would be crying in his room the weeks before he was arrested. He would cry out in the middle of the night and then tell the stepmom that he just missed his girlfriend at the time. But she says this was, of course, very unusual. This is never explained in the documentary. I thought that was a pretty important piece of information. Um, The documentary left some information out. And that's why I suggested in the beginning to go do some research on your own. You will be surprised at what you find out. And the point about the dad's girlfriend is also seen when the dad and some of his family are singing to Jesse, happy birthday. I guess Jesse was in prison at the time. Or not not prison, but jail, on trial. And it must have been his birthday. So the dad had like the family sitting around like a, you know, like a picnic table, 
singing to a camera, happy birthday to Jesse. And they show the girlfriend. She's not singing happy birthday. She's off to the side, okay? And she just looks like just confused and and very, very uneasy about everything. Because I think deep down, she knows he did it. And she doesn't approve singing happy birthday to this murderer. Okay, Shelby Miss Kelly is next up, and she's the former stepmother to Jesse. She describes Jesse as a child. He was a scared kid that just wanted love and safety. She could tell he was special and needed special care. The directors get us a bit more acquainted with the town of West Memphis. We see clips of John Mark Byers singing in church. He actually has a decent voice. Uh, They show the trailer park where Jesse Miss Kelly lives. And I guess all three of the accused lived in a trailer park. And the eight-year-olds, they were living in houses in the suburbs. Um, And I think I'm kind of rehashing here with the neighborhood. So I'm going to move on. Uh, But you also have to take into consideration, okay, that when this happened, the police went into full force with their investigation. And you got to find out how many child molesters and drug addicts and dealers and all this bad stuff was going on in this town. Quite disturbing, actually. This was an area that was ripe with alcoholics and drug users. I'm sorry, but that's just reality. It was a bit seedy back in 1993. I don't know how it is now, but it was back then. Now, this is the next scene that they present to us, and I mentioned earlier, is John Mark Byers and Michael Moore's dad shooting guns. Imagining they are shooting the accusers. This is just pathetic filmmaking right here. You obviously have two mourning fathers, all revved up, showing a bad side to them. It is my belief they were worked up and presented this idea, and then went with it. Low point in the documentary. Strange moments when John Mark Byers and his wife go to visit their son's grave. John is taking Polaroids of the grave. Why? They also got a little Christmas tree for him at the grave. Now, the director takes a shot of John kneeling at the grave, and you can see the shadow from the star on the tree smack down in the middle of John's forehead. Now, I don't know if that was intentional. But I'm going to tell you something. It was creepy as hell. Then we see Jesse Miss Kelly. Trial beginning. And the court shows pictures of the boys' mutilated bodies. Truly shocking. And you can hear gasps in the room. It's too much for the mother of Steve Branch. And her name is Pam. And this is the first time we see Terry Hobbs. We'll get to him later. Actually, I did talk to him. I... I didn't talk to him. Now, mind you, which is, I find this interesting. Most of these people are on Facebook. You could find them. (laughs) They're not going to talk to you, of course. You know. But most of these people are. I didn't talk to him. I talked about him already a little bit. I don't know how much I want to get into Terry Hobbs. Maybe the next episode. Maybe not. I may have to. If I'm getting reactions off of the first episode and people want me to talk more about something or uh, whatever, I might do that. And it'll be nice to get some reactions. Maybe that's why I'm doing this like subconsciously. I don't get a lot of comments on my show. Uh, I get people listening, yes. But I don't get any comments about anything. I might get one. 
or two or three after this episode. All right, I got to find out where the hell I was. All right. Okay. The trial concentrated on Jesse's first confession. Um, I want to correct some inconsistencies about this. Some claimed he was forced to confess. Okay. If you're hearing that, there's like people banging downstairs. Now, mind you, I'm upstairs in my little room. And my kids, of course, uh, they're not in school right now. And they're just, they're all over the house. So if you hear some banging or stuff in the background, it's probably them. Who knows? It might be my wife. Who knows? Oh my gosh, this episode's killing me. It's absolutely like my, like I, I shouldn't be doing this. Or I should be doing this. And like, I don't know. I just, I have this weird feeling like I shouldn't be doing this. But I want to do this. Does that make any sense? I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, uh, like I can't talk. I'm having trouble concentrating. But anyways, let me get back on point. The trial concentrated on Jesse's first confession. And I want to correct some inconsistencies about this. Some claimed he was forced into a confession. Not true. The police notified and got permission from Jesse's father for an interview. And after said interview, the police felt to press him further. So they did. He took a polygraph. Failed. The documentary implied he was interrogated for 12 hours before confessing. Once again, this is false. Jesse arrived at the police station at 10 a.m. and confessed at 2 p.m. Only a few hours. And although Jesse's father says he believes his son is innocent, he gave an interview on June 7th, a few days after his arrest, and admitted his son may have been with Eccles and Baldwin at the crime scene. Then even, they even have this interview. on it's, It was an interview on, new, on the news. On, uh, I guess, on KAIT slash TV news. This is not just hearsay. His father said this two days after he was arrested. Food for thought. The reporter asked him, okay, was he with them? Then Jesse's father says this. He could have been with them, but he didn't have anything to do with it. I don't believe it. Oh my God. Wow. Man, guys. My goodness. Wow. And to further delve into Jesse's confessions, and I say confessions, plural, because he confessed several times, like I mentioned before. On June 11th, he confessed one of his confessions. This one, a little more closer to the truth. And he confessed to his attorneys at this time. His attorneys pleaded with him. Jesse, <laughs> you don't have to confess. And uh, Jesse's like, I have to do this. And the attorney's like, Jesse, listen. As your attorney, I strongly suggest that you don't confess. Do you hear what I'm saying? And Jesse's like, I hear what you're saying. And then Jesse says, I want something to be done about this. Wow. How can, this is on tape, people. You could go hear this. He says this. This is no coercion. 
Where's the coer- what I hate that fucking word. Where's this pressure from the police department that I'm hearing about? All I hear are Jesse's attorneys and Jesse right now. And Jesse wants to confess freely. And his attorneys are like, uh, dude, don't do that. And he says, well, I want something done about it. I'm going to tell you something. That is all, almost all I need. That's it. It's on tape. Uh, it was said. Why would he say that? I think he's the only one with the conscience. I do. But getting back to his first confession, the defense team did a great job in pointing out all the inconsistencies in Jesse's answers. And I get it. But I believe Jesse was doing his best to exclude his involvement with skewing facts on purpose in the process. Jesse was not the big idiot you think he is. Dude is not going to be an engineer, okay? But he can form sentences and express his knowledge on what is right and what is wrong. Don't be fooled by this dumb as rocks front they put up for this guy. The defense lawyers sit around and talk about how clean the murder scene was. Luminol tests were done at the site. It is reported that it lit up like a Christmas tree. They say no evidence was found. Nothing could be further from the truth. Green fibers were also found at the crime scene that were similar to a shirt found in Eccles' home. And red fibers, similar to a bathrobe, were found in Baldwin's home uh, on one of the victims. Blue candle wax was also linked between Steve Branch and Eccles. The compass knife and bite marks were found. Okay, we got to get into this just a little bit. On one of the victims, there was... uh, uh, an injury. It looked like a circle and like a little, cr- like a like a cross in the middle. And the defense is claiming that it was a bite mark. I never thought so. Uh, all the research I've done, and they say it's a bite mark, and uh, and then some people say you know the kids being in the water that the turtles were getting at them and and all that stuff. Okay, I don't know too much about that. I I don't. I, I'm sure when uh, a body is laying in a, in a water like that, you may get some predators. I get that. But this injury, um, I never saw a bite mark ever. It's too perfectly round. Like, I just don't see somebody uh, taking a bite, and I don't know. They don't look like bite marks to me. It looks round, and with that little cross in the middle, it's exactly how on the butt of a knife, on the very bottom of it, there was a compass Okay, and they think that this knife was used in the murder, and the butt of it was used to hit one of the kids, and with the the butt of the this knife, the compass had like this little axe in the middle of it. I mean, hello, it just seems too simple to me. But they really made a big deal out of it being bite marks, and because of this, here's a quote from a man called Peter Loomis, who was an expert on tool mark and bite mark identification. Listen to this quote. Quote, Bingo. The circular mark sure looks like the butt of a survival knife. The measurements fit. The the, uh, diameter of the injury is 30 millimeters. And the diameter of the prominent circular area of the butt of the knife is 29.8 millimeters. Wow. The three lacerations under the eyebrow look like they were made by the serrations on the back side of the knife. The measurements also fit here. The lacerations measure 11.2 millimeters 
between them. And the serrated points on the knife vary between 11.1 and 11.4 millimeters. Of course, the photo with the wooden ruler is blurry depicting these serrations, but I can still measure them. End of the quote. The X mark in the middle is a clincher for me. And when I did my research, if you notice in the photos, there's a tiny little X mark right in the middle of the circle. If you look at the compass knife, there is an X right in the middle. That clinched it for me. And then there's the bloody necklace found. And the trial was underway when they found this piece of evidence and they couldn't use it. I guess the filmmakers conveniently left this scene out of the film. But you can see it. It's a deleted scene. Uh, you can go on YouTube and view it. It's a scene about this bloody necklace that the prosecution found. But it was too late. They couldn't use it in the case. That could have been really <laughs> uh, something that the supporters of the West Memphis 3 don't know about. And if they do, they just kind of dismiss it. Say, oh, it wasn't used in the case. We can't take it seriously. Uh, but uh, let, I, we got to mention it, right? Uh, I found you could see it on YouTube. So that's why I'm bringing it up. The necklace belonged to Eccles. And it had blood from two different DNA sources. One was his blood. And the second was consistent with the blood of both victims Steve Branch and his buddy Jason Baldwin. This evidence was decided not to be used at trial because it came in too late. And you should see the scene. It's great. You got the defense lawyers looking worried as shit. <laughs> Going, oh, you bring this in now? You can't do this. And I mean, it's a nice little scene. You got to check it out. And the most damning bit of evidence for me is this. The victims, the three kids that were found, okay, were tied with three distinctive knots. Why would one killer, <coughs> Terry Hobbs, why would one killer use three different ways of making a knot on each individual kid? That makes no sense to me. There were three different killers that day. At least three. Three. And I have actually reached out to Buddy Lucas. And I hope he answers a few questions. He probably won't. But I decided to reach out to him. Uh, he was one of the people that Jesse confessed to. And you can read all of these on the transcripts online. They're all there. Jesse told Buddy he did the murders with Damien and Jason. And he went into great detail about it. And cried. And then he gave this kid his shoes. Because they were muddy. And they reminded him of what he did. Here's some quick observations. Jesse Miss Kelly is a little guy. He is. He's kind of a small guy. I just thought I'd point that out. He's a little guy. He looks like he's like five feet tall. I don't know. He's, but he looks guilty to me. He just His body language speaks volumes to me. As Jesse's trial wraps up, it dawns on me how specific his confession was. When the prosecutor reminds us that Michael Moore would be alive today if Jesse didn't chase him down and bring him back to the scene. Think about that. Jury goes to decide the fate of Jesse, and we get a candid scene of the Jess. I'm sorry, we get a candid scene of Jesse with his family awaiting the decision. They're very supportive of him, and Jesse looks relieved now to me. The trial was hard for him. I get that. And he's sorry for what he did. 
although, of course, he is denying everything now. You can see him squirming in his seat during the trial. Things got to him. Hey, I could be wrong on all of this, but it's just my opinion. But Damien is brought up to Jesse when he's with his family before the decision. And Jesse's sister says this about Damien. Damien, he's a nice kid. And you get, you should see Jesse's reaction to that. He's like, what? <laughs> You're kidding, right? Interesting. Of course, Jesse is found guilty on all counts. And I find it intriguing that when he's brought up in front of the judge and the judge is sentencing him, he doesn't show any emotion. Not much. Just has his head down and he kind of looks relieved. And when the judge asks him if he wants to make a statement, he says no. And if you're convicted of a crime and you didn't commit it, holy, I would be like a mess. I would, and I'd be like, I didn't do it. I swear to God, what? no, let's do the trial again. I, all the evidence, I'd be a mess. I would, of course I'd say something. I'd be like, judge, look at me. I didn't do it. I was wrongfully accused and he had nothing to say. Nothing to say. Nothing. Could have said anything. Anything. He doesn't say a word. Because he's fucking guilty. That's why. He's guilty. That's what I think. I really do. Okay, and that is where we're going to end this episode of the Actors Room highlighting the documentary titled Paradise Lost. Intriguing stuff. We'll see if I have the guts to send this out. And it's coming out a little later than usual because it was a holiday weekend, Memorial weekend, been kind of busy, and also because straight up truthfulness, I was afraid to do this episode. Looking forward to it in a way, but scared about reactions, about the whole content of it, how people are going to take my opinions on this case and go, Jeff's an idiot. Those three didn't do it. It was that Terry Hobbs guy. It was that John Mark Byers guy. Oh, it's the, this Mr. Bojangles, I guess this um, man went into a chicken restaurant late that night of the murders, bloody, uh, messed up the bathroom, okay? And they could never find this guy. And they lost the evidence of like, I guess he was bleeding all over the bathroom, but he had nothing to do with it. It was a random thing. This guy, I guess, was just a mess. He had a sling on, okay? He was one-armed. How the hell was he going to be involved in any of this? I just, I, I didn't see it. Uh, but, I mean, what an interesting case. Just fascinating. Uh, a lot of people have their own opinions on it. And that's what makes it so interesting. And believe me, folks, I have looked on the other side. I'm not like that. I have done research on both sides. And it's amazing how the supporters of the West Memphis Three, and we're going to get into that in the next episode, the support that they got from celebrities in the business, people that I respect, people that I have reached out to in the past. Um, The Hollywood scene scares me. And one of the big reasons why I am now sitting in a nice house in an awesome neighborhood uh, with a great family with love and support all around me. I went ahead and made a decision in my life years ago. Do I try to be this uh, thing, this image, uh, a working actor, uh, this crazy life style? Or do I want to move back home and have a family and do the family thing? I love acting. I think about it all the time. 
I watch movies every day. Uh, but that scene, that Hollywood scene, and I know people in the business, it's not a pretty sight. Maybe something we'll talk about in the future. But for now, we're talking about Paradise Lost. And I hope you had a great day, a great weekend, right? Mine's wrapping up. It's almost over. I'm going to go downstairs, have some dinner with the family. Uh, might do a little cleaning up. Doing a lot this weekend, man. I mean, just seems like every day there's just stuff going on. And I, I just wanted to get this episode out as soon as possible and get on with my life. <laughs> so that's exactly what I'm going to do. Uh, it's getting warm in this room here. Definitely getting warm in here. And there you go. Nervous about the reaction. I can't wait. Like, please leave comments about this, guys. Do it. This might be the episode to do it. Leave a comment. Call me a moron. Do it. See, Jeff, you don't have any idea. I know Damien. He would never do this. (laughs) No. You have it all fucked up, you know? Damien is shady, yes, but... He didn't do it, and Jason would never do that, and Jesse, you know, there's no way, uh, you know, go ahead, leave the comments, I'm open to it, prove me wrong, do it, I'm all for it, if I'm wrong, tell me, and, and but you gotta give me something solid, do it, uh, do it, you know, and I'll listen, believe me, I will, I, I'm that type of person, I'm not closed off about people giving me hard, good evidence Uh, why these three um, are innocent. So I'm looking forward to getting some comments. Man, I hope it happens. I really do. Do it. All right. You know what I'm going to say. Put in a movie or put in Paradise Lost. If you have HBO, it's on there. You can watch all three of them. But you got to have a stomach for it. It's fascinating as hell. But you got to be in the right frame of mind to watch them because they will suck you in. They will definitely suck you in. So I hope you enjoy your evening. God bless you. Have a good one.